if you go to wouldyourathermath.com slash users dash guide, there is a little PDF that I put together about some possible ways that you could incorporate these into your class. The teacher needs to do the problem him or herself. The assumption that, oh, I'm just going to give kids the prompt and let them run with it. I, as the teacher, would love to know, here are some possible places that this could go. Because if the entire class chooses the $25 per hour, then this isn't a would you rather. This is a consensus. And I want to be able to throw something else into the fire. Say, well, what In about today's episode, we welcome math year. moment so maker John Stevens to the podcast. John is an instructional coach for mathematics and technology who not only supports teachers he works with throughout his district, but educators from around the world with his many resources. Dive into this episode with John and we'll unpack how you can facilitate debates in math class using his free online resource, WouldYouRatherMath.com. How to bring parents to the table with his Table Talk math resources and a great resource parents can lean on to help their children avoid the dreaded summer slide. Let's hit it! Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce from tapintoteenminds.com. And I'm John Orr from mrorr-isageek.com. We are two math teachers who together, with you, the community of math moment makers worldwide who want to build and deliver math lessons that spark engagement, people learning, and ignite teacher action. John, are you ready to interview John? Yes, of course. It sounds kind of funny. John is going to interview John, and uh, that happens to a lot of us Johns around the place. So, uh, of course, Kyle, we are super bumped to bring you this episode. But before we do that, I want to and we want to share a little info about an upcoming opportunity for you. Yes, as the world is engaging in emergency remote learning, it's likely that you've managed to piece together the technology to provide students with new learning through videos available on YouTube, or maybe even you've started creating your own. You've also worked hard to plan and prepare methods for your students to access practice problems through online tools, many tools, and digital handouts. These are all important and necessary steps to getting your math classroom organized for this emergency remote learning experience but there's just one thing missing moments when we lost our ability to facilitate lessons with our students in a face-to-face environment we also lost uh, our go-to and you know almost our automatic strategies to make math moments for our kids it might even feel impossible to create math moments that your students will remember for days weeks months or years but it is possible and we want to help you get there Join us in May for a new webinar on how to make math moments that matter from a distance. We'll be showing you what we've been doing to make math moments for our students while teaching remotely. Register for our free webinars during the week of May 11th at makemathmoments.com forward slash webinar. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash webinar. All right, let's get into our chat with John. Hey there, John. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. We're super excited to have you on the show today. How are things over on your side of the world? They are fantastic. Got the weather in my favor. I've got a great job, a great family, a lot of cool things happening on my end of the world. Awesome. Awesome. You know, like you get to say how great the weather is and us Canadians are always, uh, we're always obsessed with weather. And I think I've asked so many people, tell me about the weather today. Like, cause I just want to like think about it because it was pretty cold here. I think today was one of the coldest days we've had in a while. I think the high for us, oh, I'm going to go Celsius though for you. Yeah. The highest for us was like a five or a six. Uh, Quick convert that for us. What? Like 42 or something like that? John, tell us about your weather in California. Come on. Yeah, it's a rough 30 degrees Celsius right now. Well, not right now. I mean, it's it's a little bit later. Oh, geez. uh, Yeah. Although I will say, I'm not complaining about our weather, but I will say that I just got done with a 
two and a half week period where our power was cycled off because of the fears of the fires in right. California. You've had some risk there. Oh, geez. Yeah, we had you, really and you had some risk wind. last year too, right? Yeah, it's just kind of become the new norm in mm. California, southern and northern especially. And we are right on a foothill. And so we get some high winds. They're called the Santa Ana winds. And they come howling down and upwards of 60, 70 mile an hour gusts. And with the fear of them knocking over a power line and sparking a brush fire, the power company has started to shut down power to be a little bit proactive in the diffusing of forest mm. fires. Mm. Oh, jeez. Yeah, we definitely that's... hope uh, you all in California are staying safe there for sure. John, we've met a couple times and we know a little bit about you, but could you do our listeners a favor if they don't know about you? Could you fill them in on some details? So, uh, for example, could you uh, say what your role is in education and maybe a little bit of backstory of how you got into teaching and your math teaching story? Sure. Right now, my role is as an instructional math and technology coach for an all high school district in Southern California. And I've been doing this, this is going on six years. Prior to that, I was a middle school and high school math teacher, taught everything from intervention, eighth grade math, to algebra one, engineering robotics and design course, service learning, gifted and talented education, and then algebra and geometry. And so pretty wide range for a secondary math teacher. But what mm, got me yeah, into mm-hmm. teaching is actually baseball. Mm, baseball. I was dissuaded by a number of people from jumping into education because they felt like, and my parents included, I'm not throwing my parents under the bus here, I'll redeem them later. But <laughs> I was kind of steered away from education because my parents were worried and some friends of mine were worried that I would not enjoy it. You know, five sections of the same course over 180 days for 35 years, it doesn't fit my personality. I'm too erratic. I'm too spontaneous. And the boxing in that education can do to a person, the fear was I wouldn't enjoy it and I would get out of it. And I bring this up because, first of all, thank you, mom and dad. I love you. And second, it is the reason why I feel like I was able to have some success because I wasn't that step in line, do as I'm told, on the pacing guide every day, follow the book type of teacher. There were risks taken and there were things that I tried because I needed something different. My kids wanted something different. And so with that combination, it allowed me to be able to take some risks and try some things that I may not have had I been one that said, yeah, I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to every day. That's actually really interesting because when you're talking about that story and sharing that story, I feel like I actually did fall into that trap early on in my career where it was sort of this idea. I remember one semester I taught three of the same course, like back to back to back. And I thought to myself, like, wow, like in my mind leading up to that, having early in your career, it is new to you because you're planning things for the first time, you're trying things, you're messing up, and then you get a chance to redeem yourself the next time. But then I got to this place where it was that monotonous sort of just flip the page, keep doing things over and over again. And it was actually making me want to consider getting out of education. And it wasn't until I found a way someone inspired me through conferences to actually make some change and start innovating that I started to actually see and truly find that joy. So did you find that when you got into teaching, did you find that like your personality, this idea of being a little more sporadic, like being a little bit more innovative and kind of liking to do things a little differently? Did you have that right from the get go? Or was that something that you maybe suppressed initially and kind of followed the routine of like what quote unquote people would say teachers do? Or were you able to actually access that from day one? No, day one, I was a hot mess. It was bad. I graduated with a degree in math and initially out of college, I wanted to work for Raytheon or Lockheed Martin or Boeing. And I wanted to create algorithms that would solve world problems and was again, steered away from education. I said, baseball got me to it. I wanted to coach baseball and I wanted to give back to a sport that I had played since I was four. And so when I took the interview for the school districts that I did, it was all right, I'm going to coach baseball and I'm going to be a teacher. I was going to be one of those people that stepped in 
with that role. And I quickly learned that I wasn't going to make it if I was going to be that kind of person. Just my personality type, just my ambition, it wasn't going to end well for me. And so probably, well, before day one, I, my degrees in math, I have no teaching credential. I get my keys, I get my pile of books, and I get my classroom. I go and set up my room. And the instructional coach for our site, her name is Mandy, she comes in and she lends her hand. And we have a good conversation about what it means to be a teacher. Because again, remember, I, I no teaching credential courses. And my thought going in was, I'm cool. They're going to be cool. We're going to be cool. I'm going to, we're going to like this whole respect thing. As long as you respect me, we're going to be right. good. Right. Yeah. And middle school kids have a little bit different definition sometimes of what respect and being cool means. And it was very new to me. And it was a very big gut punch coming out the gate. Like, oh, this is not how things are going to go. You know, the thought in my head and what actually comes to. So probably... I want to say October. So it would have been second month of school. I realized that if I was going to stay in this profession, that I had to change. I had to do something different. And that was where things changed. It's where we stepped outside and we did different types of projects. In the spring of my first year of teaching, I brought in the general manager of a billboard company and he spoke with the students about a scale drawing project that we had done. And he talked to the kids about the billboard industry. And at the end of it, he chose one of the kids' drawings and Lamar Advertising put up a billboard in our community of our students' drawing that represented the relationship between the school and the city. And those types of projects in my first year and my second year of teaching really gave me the impetus to say, I can do this. As long as there's a structure in place, I can take these risks. And I know that I'm going to have support from the community, my boss, my colleagues, and definitely the students. Hmm. Nice. And I envy that you realized that early and that you credit it to your personality. And that's great. I think we've said here on the podcast before, like, I envy you is because it took me like years to figure that out or to figure out to make these changes. And you got to help those kids probably earlier than in my career. Like I always say, like, I wish I could go back and start again and talk to those kids that I taught for eight years in that very traditional high school math class, very much like I was taught. And it's almost like, ah, oh, I just wish I had woken up a little bit earlier so that I could have helped some more students understand math like math a little bit better. John, you've shared some very vivid moments from your teaching career here and very memorable moments. That's one thing that we always ask our guests is about memorable moments. But I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing a memorable moment of you being in math class as a student. We always like to stretch back and think about what math looked like for you and what you thought about that. So do you have like a memorable math moment as a kid or a student? Oh, man. I'm going to sound old right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> My experience, I had a very good, very positive experience growing up through school. And I think it was because I fit well into a routine-based system. You know, I grew up in the 1 through 35 odd classroom. And I did well in it because I could memorize and I could do a procedure. And it wasn't until college where the professor asked, why does this work? Or I need for you to derive this formula on your own. And that's where things struggled for me. So for I mean, the memorable stuff really is, is just feeling that procedural success through school. The one thing that bucks the system and one of the teachers that I look up to, Mr. Skelton, I don't know how your textbooks were or are, but at the end of every chapter, there was a small project that you could do. And a lot of teachers shied away from that, still do. And Mr. Skelton loved those opportunities. And so he would assign these projects and they were civics minded. They were kind of like the PBL of the 90s. And I got the opportunity to do these projects in his class. And it empowered me to think about mathematics differently. You know, we still did a lot of the procedure based stuff, but he found ways to create those math moments for us that gave us a reason to enjoy what we were doing in the class leading up to that. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And I find too, because I have a position at the district office, oftentimes, you know, I'll find this box of old math books, old math textbooks, things that have been sort of shunned years ago and replaced with newer material. And, you know, I love grabbing a copy of one of the old ones and dusting it off and having a look. And when you look inside of them, there's still some like fantastic ideas that we've had decades ago in some of these textbooks. But again, kind of like you're highlighting with your teacher and your experience is that it's really us as the educator that we choose whether we're going to shy away from an idea and stick to what we know or whether we're going to actually take a chance and try something different. So it's, you know, like you're saying, the PBL of the 90s, it's like there's probably some amazing things that are in some of those old resources that we just never tried because we were too afraid to try or maybe the teachers in that era were too afraid to try it. And I think taking that chance is so important. And I sort of see that in some of the work that you do in terms of not shying away from those opportunities. And I'd love to shift this conversation just a little bit to a particular resource that I know anyone from my district and folks who work with John and I in in online workshops as well as live workshops, oftentimes we share different resources out there. And one of the resources that we commonly share and we know people are loving is a resource called Would You Rather? And if someone's listening to this episode, they might not have made the connection yet that actually, John, you actually have sort of Uh, headed up this idea of would you rather math. I'm wondering, can you help for those who don't know what it is at home? Can you kind of articulate like, what is would you rather math? And I guess like, where did it come from? Like what inspired you to do this and create this free resource for people to be able to openly access online? Yeah. For people who don't know about wouldyourathermath.com, it is... Like you said, it's a free site that people can access. And the entire premise of it is giving students an opportunity to use math as a way of creating an argument and holding a discussion about something with which they may disagree. It started selfishly because I was tired of the social studies and the English teachers having all the fun with debate. You have all of these rich conversations in social studies and in your English classes. You bring up a Shakespeare play, or you have this short story and you start talking about the protagonist and the antagonist, and you start talking about all of these things. Or in history class, you talk about which side was on the right side of history. And in math, 3x equals 12x equals 4, put a box around it, move on to the next problem. And I didn't want that. John, you had had mentioned that, you know, it, it was nice that I was able to realize things early in my career. I didn't start Would You Rather Math until year eight. You know, I was still, yes, I did some cool stuff early on, but there were still a lot of things that I look back on and realize, man, the first through fifth year, even first through seventh year, me was nowhere near where I wanted to be. And Would You Rather Math allows me now as an instructional coach, when I get to go in and do demo lessons or when I hear other teachers using it, it brings me pure joy because we did one yesterday. I was with a second year teacher a phenomenal teacher. And she had posted the idea of, would you rather make $25 an hour or $48,000 a year in your dream job? And the conversations that started off, you know, it's Monday morning, it's 7.20 and you've got freshmen. They're not super eager about, yeah, let's math right away this morning. And you put this prompt in front of them and she totally managed this and just watching how she owned it. And she allowed the students to advocate for themselves and empowered them to not just make a decision, but justify it. And lo and behold, the mathematics was there. It was a rich mathematical conversation about something that is a reality. And there are jobs where you have the security of a $48,000 a year paycheck. And there are other jobs where you have the flexibility of a $25 per hour hourly wage. And getting the kids to talk about that really was the premise for Would You Rather? And that is giving kids a platform to talk about real issues and real things using mathematics. It just occurred to me one parallel that we used to omit from math class. And Kyle and I talked about it before, but in a different context in one of our live workshops. And it's this idea that, you know, when you're doing a math problem, that part A will say, like, build an equation from this word problem. And then part B is like, solve the equation. Then part C says, verify it. And then part D is like, what assumptions did you make? And 
I used to skip, you know, part D, like you would do A, B, C, and D, like A, B, and C. And then, you know, you get the answer and you check your answer. And then, and then the assumptions you'd make, you're like, well, we already did this math problem. Let's move on. But lately, after thinking about more real world scenario problems, like you've suggested, like part D was a, like an amazing discussion moment to have about like, what assumptions did you make? And I was just reminded of that when you said like, that's what would you rather is really doing in math class. It's like you get to have these real world discussions about real things. And there are these assumptions you make about math problems that we don't ever talk about. But would you rather math gets you to talk about those things? Like you said, like there's the risk of having an hourly job, but a flexibility, but also you've got the stability of the other job. Like you don't usually talk about that in math class. Those are like those assumptions that I used to skip all the time. And that's where the richness of math class can come from. It's an amazing thing that can open up your classroom and change your classroom culture for sure. One thing I'm always interested in is lots of ideas get shared. Like, would you rather math and, you know, three act math problems and, you know, lots of other resources. And I've always wondered, like, how do teachers start that in their classroom? Like, what does the lesson look like for you? And I'm wondering, like, if you think about WouldYouRatherMath.com and some of the prompts there, I've seen teachers, like, just throw it up on a screen and then say, go, and then that's it. And then they're like, okay, what'd you guys do? And that's kind of it. I'm wondering, like, what best practices have you seen to implement the prompts on the website? So would you mind sharing maybe like some of the best practices you've seen or how you'd say like, this is the way, you know, you're going to get the best bang for your buck when you use this resource. What would the beginning, the middle and the end kind of look like? Do you mind sharing your thoughts on that? Hey there, math moment makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, do us this huge solid. Uh, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. Yeah, there. On the website on WouldYouRatherMath.com, if you go to WouldYouRatherMath.com slash users dash guide, there is a little PDF that I put together about some possible ways that you could incorporate these into your class. For the teachers, I get the opportunity to support. It first starts with, and this needs to be said, the teacher needs to do the problem him or herself. The, the assumption that, oh, I'm just going to give kids the prompt and let them run with it. I, as the teacher, would love to know, here are some possible places that this could go. Because if the entire class chooses the $25 per hour, then this isn't a would you rather. This is a consensus. And I want to be able to throw something else into the fire, say, well, what about this on the $48,000 per year? So being able to work both sides of the problem, I think, is very important for the teacher going in. So I did Would You Rather Wednesdays. And, and that would be another thing that I would encourage is to not oversaturate your classroom with these types of prompts because the novelty wears off. Because the luster of it, oh, here we go, another, another Would You Rather. All right. And that's why for my class, it was once a week. And I would either find or create something. And another thing that I've been talking with my teachers about is don't try to find something. Don't overwork yourself to try to find something that is directly tied to the lesson standard that you're working on for the day. Right. As an example, right. one of the ones I know you guys know, would you rather have a stack of quarters from the floor to the top of your head or $225 cash? Mm -hmm. And that one has a lot of really, really good conversation in there. And I did that one with my students right before we were talking about the triangle sum theorem. So stacking quarters has nothing to do with the fact that three angles of a triangle add up to 180 degrees. But I wanted to give kids the chance. Unless there's 180 <laughs> coins. Unless there are 180 <laughs> coins and you can put them into a triangle. Uh, <laughs> and that would be a good conversation, maybe. But the reason, the rationale for me to do that prompt with the lesson coming up about the triangle sum theorem is in order to answer that question of which one you'd rather have, you really have to get comfortable manipulating decimal values. And we know that kids often do better with decimal values as it relates to money. 
And so I wanted to give kids that chance to wrestle with that prompt and then say, okay, now we've got three angles here and get, you know, go through the triangle sum theorem, start talking about how they add up to 180. And then I feel as the teacher more comfortable dropping in some angle measures that aren't whole numbers that I can drop in 35.75 degrees instead of just 35 degrees. And the kids have seen decimal values in the warm up in the introduction of the lesson. So not feeling like I can't use this prompt because it doesn't address the content standard that I'm supposed to be addressing that day. Right, right. And you know, something in our district, we've been talking with educators around our district around this idea of like, trying to include math talks into our lessons. And we try to frame out sort of like this idea of like what might fit as a math talk. And I would argue that a would you rather, I mean, some of them could probably be bigger than a math talk for sure, but you could be grabbing some of these to use intentionally for your math talk. So it might be like your number talk for that day. And it sounds like what you're suggesting is that sometimes it might be good that it doesn't actually relate to today's concept because maybe it gives us an opportunity to build that number fluency. So like you had said, you're like hitting on some ideas that maybe we're not going to see for a little while in this particular unit of study. If I'm focusing on angles of triangles and quadrilaterals, like it's this idea of interleaving ideas and bringing them back to the table. Like, would you argue that in some ways, maybe it might be helpful to almost avoid the topic that you're actually after? Because I'm with you on this. Sometimes like we drive ourselves nuts. We spend two hours trying to find an opener for a lesson, like a really good way to get kids talking early in our lesson. We spend two hours prepping that. And then it's like the actual lesson we prepared that day sort of tanks a bit because we haven't actually focused enough of our time and attention on making sure that that actually goes well. I was the teacher that believed in putting out a warm up or a do now an intro that related to yesterday's topic that also connects to today's lesson because you know you're in math class now and I need for you to be thinking math and for a a 14 year old heck for any student coming in look I just got done having a really really deep conversation in my history class about this war that happened and who was on the right side of history. You think I'm ready to start talking about systems of equations? No, I'm not. You know, I just got done doing this really intense thing in PE and I had to rush to go get my clothes on and changed. And just to get to your class before the bell rings, I'm not ready to do that. So there's a time and place to have those kinds of things to open a lesson. But what I'm trying to do with these tasks, especially now, is I'm trying to get your brain to make that pivot from whatever you were doing prior to this class. I want you to be able to construct an argument and critique some reasonings of others using a math lens. And whether it's something super realistic, like the hourly wage or annual wage, or whether it's something silly, like if you'd rather have this many peeps or this many peeps, or take this route or that route, that is irrelevant to me. I just want to make sure that you come in you feel like you can offer something, you can contribute something to this class. And any prompt that I put up there should be something that any student in the class feels comfortable enough that they could share something. I love that message of like that low floor that everyone can access the actual conversation. The mathematics is so important. You hit on something that I think we sometimes forget as we're planning our math lessons. Sometimes We're thinking of like what to do. And we get a lot of emails from people who listen to the podcast or visit the website or whatever it might be in our travels along the way. And they get into this sort of resource overload. And it's like we totally forget to think about the intentionality behind why we're doing what we're doing. And what I'm hearing you're saying is like for you, like there's a number of different purposes that you're using. So not only is it to get a student to kind of get into this math mode, but I'm hearing this idea of like really getting kids to start that math discourse and get them talking, get them, you know, I find the longer I go when I present anything, whether it's to students or to teachers, the longer I go with me talking and them listening, the harder it is to get them to try to talk later. So I'm curious, like, since you've started these types of routines using would you rather and and I know it's just from seeing you on Twitter and having conversations with you in the past that would you rather is not the only tool that you're using in your class as class warm up, like you said, you did your would you rather Wednesdays, but could you speak to any maybe shift in terms of like your classroom environment 
since you've made maybe that shift to kind of get kids talking and debating and getting some of that fun, like you said, from the literacy classes or the language classes or the social science classes that it seemed like in math class, like we just never really took advantage of in the past. Yeah. Like I said, this is something that came in year eight of teaching. And soon after that, I was brought in as an instructional coach. So I don't have my own classroom. I get the laboratory of 127 math classrooms across my district. And then when I get a chance to do workshops and work in other schools, I get the opportunity to try things out there. But it has changed the way for teachers who are implementing this on a fairly consistent basis. It's changed the way that it changed the things that we value in math class because we are making this shift. And the shift is very slow. The shift is very methodical and very calculated as a system. But there are teachers who are implementing would you rather and which one doesn't belong and estimation 180 and visual patterns and these modeling representations of mathematics. And what I see from people in my district and the teachers that I support when I get the chance to do work outside of it is that people are feeling like they can let their kids talk more you're hearing more noise in the classroom. And that makes me happy. It really does. Today, I was walking up and down. I was supporting 14 different teachers as they were trying out a a task. And there was noise in the hall because every classroom I walked down, kids were discussing and debating which dimensions they should be going with for their handicap access ramp. And they were using the math to be able to defend their decisions. And I think that's the kind of stuff that would you rather and all of the resources that the folks in the math community have been building as of late are affording us the opportunity to do. Yeah, I think that's been one of my biggest shifts in my classroom is that using those resources of yours and and the other people that you've mentioned in those websites have changed the culture of my room to be more opening to kids expressing ideas and using math to justify things and verbally. Yeah. It's been a game changer for me. John, before we move to talk about Table Talk Math, because I think we definitely should, what do you think would be the biggest piece of advice you could give teachers or even just starting teachers who want to use WouldYouRatherMath.com? Like what biggest piece of advice uh, you could leave our listeners with? What would that be? Do I have to pick one? Uh, <laughs> um, no, you don't have to. <laughs> we'll let you slide in a couple extra if you uh, want. One, this one's not as important, but it's just one of the little picky things is to go through this with your students. I see sometimes on the website that I'll get like 35 comments in a 20 minute period. And I know, and they're bouncing around and they've got the same web host. And so what that looks like to me is that that teacher has said, Hey, go on the website and answer some of these, would you rather prompts? And that's devoid of conversation. Maybe they're having the conversation and then as a group, they're putting in an answer, but For me, I'd love to see and hear a whole group discussion or a large group discussion and be able to gain different perspectives and vantage points about it. That's been one of my, it's been the pet peeve. Like it's not a big one, but it's one that to use this resource with fidelity, really it involves a large group. It involves a discussion, a conversation, not just, hey, go on, answer this question so that we can start the lesson. But the other one, the one that I I really want to encourage, especially for the folks who have not yet tried Would You Rather Math, is to try it more than once. There's a very good chance, just like anything that we do the first time, it's not going to be as good once we get comfortable with it, to try a Would You Rather and then set one up already. Hey, we're going to do this one on this coming Wednesday after I listen to the podcast or after I go to one of your workshops or you know, go to the online course. I'm going to try the Would You Rather And then I'm going to schedule one for one week after that because I know that I want to give this a second chance. And that way it gives the teachers a chance to learn from some of the things that happen in class. It gives students a little bit more consistency in what they hear and the format because a lot of times, again, they're not used to having these conversations in class. So it may not start out as this fluid, beautiful discussion that teenagers or preteens just jump out of their seats waiting to have a debate using math. It may take some time for it to flourish. 
Right, right. I really appreciate those tips. There's actually, you gave two there and there's also one earlier that I think was really important. And I want to make sure that people really think about it. And is the idea that you had mentioned earlier about making sure that you do the math ahead of time. And that to us, we talk about the five practices quite often. This idea of anticipating is so important because if I'm actually going to facilitate a conversation and it kind of segues nicely into the second piece you just mentioned about not just sending students to go pick a random one and go solve it. And this is just some independent work time. Like we want to get kids talking about this. And if I want to actually facilitate a really meaningful discussion, then I sort of have to, in my mind, have a, like, if I don't even know why the two things are being compared on the website, because let's be honest, the reason why it's a would you rather is because there's something interesting going on there. So if I'm the facilitator of the discussion and I don't even see different perspectives on why one might be better than the other, it's going to be a really dry conversation. And then finally, you also mentioned this idea of scheduling it in, trying it out. And then also just to make sure that, you know, if it doesn't go well the first time, try not to, you know, it's so easy for us to be like, ah, that didn't work. My kids didn't like it. But I wonder if we were to take a step back and say, I wonder if maybe I missed a teacher move because I'm brand new at this, right? Like I can't expect myself to be an expert at this yet. So rather than writing it off, if let's say that first time it doesn't go so hot, it's kind of like looking back and reflecting. And if you have an opportunity, like I know, John, you get a chance to go in and work with teachers. Like, is there an instructional coach that you might be able to team up with? Even if they're not familiar with the resource, let's tag team this and let's try this together. And maybe they'll notice something as I'm doing this with my class, or I'll notice something as a teaching partner does it with their class that maybe is harder to see when you're in the moment. So I really like those ideas. And I'm hoping folks at home are taking those notes down and saying, you know what, if I'm going to give this a shot, like just make sure that we give ourselves the time and the practice to try to make it go, let's say better than that first time. That first time is never going to be super, super smooth. So John, I want to segue here. We're looking at the time. We don't have a ton of time left with you this evening, but we do want to definitely shine some light on another resource that you provide, which we think is a great one, not just for teachers, but in particular for parents. And John, I know you know that our John from McMath Moments also has a special place in his heart for helping parents out in kind of creating this positive thinking and positive vibes and positive mindset around mathematics. John has his resource called Math Before Bed. You also have a math resource that folks can access for the home, and it's called Table Talk Math. So I'm wondering, could you tell us a little bit about Table Talk Math? What inspired you? So what is it, for those who don't know, and what inspired you to sort of take on this task of bringing math to the table? Well, first of all, I will definitely say that I enjoy and I appreciate the work that John has done around math before bed. Love the work, love the prompts that are put out there for parents to have that conversation with their kids. And it parallels a lot with what I've done with Table Talk Math. It started because I got the opportunity to write a book for teachers called The Classroom Chef and risk-taking in the classroom. Thank you. And it got a lot of good feedback and we've done a lot of workshops for teachers and training and we do all that and it's for teachers. And what happens is that the teachers go into their classrooms and they try these things out and they have great experiences with them and the kids love them and the kids go home to their parents and the parents look at it and think, what are you doing and why? I want to help you. I want to be there for you as a parent. I want to make sure that I'm giving you the best support I can, but this isn't the math that I grew up with. And we see that on Facebook. We see that on Twitter and parents put this stuff out there not because they're trying to shame anybody, but they're frustrated. They haven't seen under the hood of what math education looks like in 2017 and beyond. Maybe a little bit before them, but not the current stuff that's happening, the progressive things that are happening in math classrooms all over the world. So I wanted to build on that. And therefore, I wrote Table Talk Math. And it started out as a newsletter where sending it out every week, give them a new prompt, a new idea that parents can try out at home. And it went really well. A lot of parents are signing up for it and realized that a lot of parents aren't signing up for it. And 
figured I'd bring in some experts. And Nat Banting came in and talked about fraction talks. Annie Fetter talked about noticing and wondering. Fawn Wynn talked about visual patterns. Mary Barassa talked about which one doesn't belong. Andrew Stadel talks about estimation. And all of these things are they're concepts and ideas that parents can use as they're driving their kid to school or as they're sitting down at the dinner table, hence table talk math, or a number of different situations where opportunities around us that we can use to bring math to the table. I used to get those newsletters, or I guess I still do get the, those newsletters, and I found them quite handy for my own kids and lots of great insight, lots of great little tidbits that you can, uh, like you said, you can be sitting at the table or you could be sitting in the couch with your kids and have a short conversation. That's what, uh, that's also what's really great about some of the ideas is that they can be just short little conversations with your kids to get them thinking about math at home. And I'm so glad that you've written that book for parents because I think that's a huge piece that parents are like want to help their kids they just don't know how to help their kids and i think that you fit that piece in there nicely to show them one way they can or many ways that they can do that with their own sons or daughters i'm not sure if you listen but the episode that went live this week at the time of this recording which is episode 49 we just talked with hillary and matthew who wrote the book uh, adding parents to the equation and they also had that same idea is that is that there's some great resources and i think the more we can get into parents' hands, the better not only our parents can be, but our students can be and the more successful they can be. So that is some great stuff. I think Kyle wants to jump in here and ask something. Kyle, go ahead. And I just wanted to mention too, like I think why these resources, so, you know, Table Talk Math and John, your math before bed. And I know Hillary and Matthew have both of your resources in their book. They have a huge list of resources in there as well. And something I think about, and I'm a math educator and I'll be in the car and sometimes I'm like thinking of, you know, when you, you have so many ideas, but you're sort of like, which one should I bring up for that conversation? And that's what I find really handy about those newsletters and really just all the different tools that you have available to parents through Table Talk Math. So we know that it's important for parents to be talking with their kids about math, but sometimes you sort of like, it's like we're spinning our tires on like, what do I actually ask them? And I know, John, you also have a resource, and I think it would be a great opportunity for those who are listening and are unaware of it. I really think that they should be aware of it, is when you're going away for summertime and you're looking for something to do in the summer. Summers are busy, but at the same time, you get these like larger chunks of time. And sometimes I'm wondering, I'm like, what could I do? Like, What sort of activity could I do with my daughter, Talia, who's in grade two? or my son who's in SK, which is senior kindergarten here in Ontario, I know that you have actually recently teamed up with some fabulous educators to offer some opportunities for parents to kind of look and better understand what's going on in the math world. And then also, what could I do to even take that to the next level? I've got Table Talk Math as sort of this idea, this ongoing ideas that I can use, prompts I can bring to the table to have conversations with my kids. What else could they do if they wanted to go like a step deeper? Well, I've mentioned it and John and Kyle, you both have mentioned it as well. We've got the newsletter that is free. Send it out. Hey, here's a prompt. You know, here's some, here's some sports stats that you can look at or here's some weather things that you can start talking about mean, median and mode or little prompts that hopefully just promote and provoke some, incite some conversation from a parent to a child or even a teacher to his or her classroom. But to what you're alluding to, I realized that we are only getting so far in education. And there's a book by Malcolm Gladwell called mm -hmm, yep. Outliers. I don't know if you are. I love Gladwell. Yep. Yeah, a lot of good stuff in there. And the thing that I wanted to be able to address is the support of parents. We have a lot of parents. I get the opportunity to do parent workshops. And I get warned sometimes by some administrators or some groups that bring me in. Like, you know, we've got a pretty passionate group of parents. And we know what that translates to. And they just want to be heard. And when I get the chance to talk to them, they just want to help and they don't know how and they're frustrated. And so with this Table Talk Math summer course, what I did was I brought in four other educators from around the United States. And then I ended up doing the course for incoming third graders. And what we did was we created a series of lessons that were all standards aligned. And it covered 75% of the course that you just finished. So if you just finished grade two and you were entering grade three, 
75% of your course would be grade two material. And then 25% of it would be an introduction to what grade three content you would be doing as a way of saying, hey, here's a little bit of an advantage or an edge that you're going to get because you were going through this. And there's a video that goes with every lesson. There is a handout that goes with lesson. There are extra practice problems that go with it. And it really just is the video tutorials that all of us have put together are geared toward the student and the parent. So they're not the cute, bubbly, fuzzy, you know, go noodle videos, which are cool. But as a parent, I'm not going to sit through a go noodle video and try to use it as an educational tool. I'm going to have my child watch it. Whereas these are things that parents can sit down and watch with their child. So there are a series of 12 lessons for each of the courses spaced out sent out every five days. So most summer breaks are about 60 days. And so that way this provides continuous summer learning all the way through the time that they start their incoming grade level. Awesome. I saw some snippets of those courses, uh, like one from Chrissy Newell, and uh, there's some great stuff in there. And I think there are, you've had lots of students and in, in schools through that program, right? From last year? Yeah, we got a I mean, this was the pilot year and we had 30,000, about 30,000 students who had access. There were a few districts that signed up. There was a county that signed up, a lot of individual schools, and then some individuals who could not get their school to sign up ended up making that decision and getting an individual license that way. So I'm in the process of working with, partnering with some pretty big textbook companies as a way of offering this through their platform and that way more kids get the chance to do it. and. The cool part that I'm pretty proud of, I'm very proud of, is the five of us who have run the course have agreed that we're not going to take profit from it. We're going to take the whatever profits come from this, and we're going to put this back into classrooms. So at the beginning of the year, we were able to purchase classroom supplies for teachers. We were able to fund certain things and really put that money back into the community in a way that helps kids and their families have what they need to start the school year. I don't know if you at home are thinking about John's kind of overall theme here, but John, like the theme that you've been talking about here today is like clearly support. Like you are supporting so many people with the work you're doing. You know, you're supporting teachers with the resources online and in the teachers in your district, but you're also supporting parents with many resources. Now you've got your table talk math book. You've got these courses for kids and parents at home. It's just a great amount of support that you're providing. And I think the community definitely thanks you. And it's been a fantastic evening speaking with you today. You know, we've chatted about so many great stuff. But John, where can folks learn even more about you? Can you give us some links and some ways to access you so that if they wanted to get in touch or just to learn more about you, hit us up with some info. <laughs> <laughs> so for as many projects as I have, I have just as many ways of getting in touch with me. Right. Um, I think the, the easiest, Cell <laughs> phone number is probably easiest. Probably. Just, uh, I'm not going to put that one out there yet. <laughs> but if you follow me on Twitter, that's kind of the central hub for the social media side of it. You can follow me at jstevens, S-T-E-V-E-N-S-009. Uh, feel free to email me, john at tabletalkmath.com. And then the central location for a lot of the work that I do, including my blog, the books that I've written, the, the other work that I do is fishing, the number four, tech.com. And that can lead you to a myriad of options of some of the things that I have my hands in. Awesome. Thanks so much. Fantastic. For well, John, listen, we want to thank you again. The comments made by my John over here. It's so hard when there's two Johns on the episode, <laughs> but uh, his comments about support and the great work that you're doing. Um, again, ditto to that. Thank you so much for all the work you do for the math education community. And uh, we hope that we'll see you either face to face at an upcoming conference or we'll hear your voice again on the podcast sometime in the future. Yeah, I hope so. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a great night. We want to thank John again for spending all this time with us to share his insights with both John and I and you, the Math Moment Maker community. As always, how will you reflect on what you've heard from this episode? Are you writing these things down? Have you drawn a sketch note or tweeted out your biggest takeaway? Calling a colleague is also a great thing to do. So be sure to engage in some form of reflection to ensure the learning here sticks with you. 
As a reminder from the top of the episode, we want you to join us for our new webinar in May, the week of May 11th, and it's called How to Make Math Moments from a Distance. John, what are we going to be doing in this webinar? Yeah, in this live webinar, you are going to learn how to deliver problem-based lessons in a meaningful way, how to reach all students, regardless of their mathematical readiness, through the use of emerging mathematical strategies and models, and how to do all of this and get the engaging lessons over the internet, synchronously or asynchronously. Best of all, we'll be giving away lots of math goodies, including tools and resources to up your Make Math Moments game as we lead conceptual lessons from a distance. Register for a date and time that works for you, and you'll receive the replay sent to your email afterwards. Register at makemathmoments.com forward slash webinar. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash webinar. And remember, in order to ensure you don't miss out on any new episodes as they come out each week on Monday mornings at 5.30 a.m. Eastern Time, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting platform. Also, if you're liking what you're hearing, please share the podcast with a colleague and help us reach a wider audience by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and tweet us uh, your biggest takeaway at Make Math Moments on Twitter, Instagram. You can even find us on Facebook. Show notes and links to resources from this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 75. Again, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 75. Well, John, until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And high fives for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.